for all those who feel called to build something bigger than themselves, but have no idea or representation as to how to bring it to pass. This podcast is for you. Let's figure it out together. Get ready. Let's build. Four, three, two, one. Everything that you've been through up until this point has helped you create your why. And when you have a strong why, nothing will stop you. What is happening, fam? It's your boy, Princeton Parker here. I am, as you already know, so grateful to God for life and love. And I am grateful to you for listening. Ooh, we y'all, we in here quarantining and chilling every day. And I am glad that you selected this podcast to be your company today in the midst of all that is going on. And so here's the thing. I am determined that even though we are in this historical moment where we are unpacking and dealing with uh, the coronavirus and social distancing and safer at home and all that stuff, this too shall pass. And uh, we're going to navigate our way through this. And a part of the conversation that we're having um, is about anxiety. These are or can be some of the most anxious times because when things are going on, where we're dealing with the unknown and we're dealing with a virus and we're dealing with all of these things, it can make us so anxious. But you know what? If you're like me, you might have grown up in church spaces where they didn't talk about that. And so this is part two of our series called Chill Out, Navigating Faith and Anxiety. And in this one, I specifically debunked the lies that we are told or that we believe, whether it is because it was told to us externally or it's just something we hold internally about anxiety. I want to deal with them. I want to call them out. And I want you to listen. And I don't want us to get in the habit of just doing this sort of critique of they never told me, you know what that is, how they said that and at that last church. And I was this and, and my, my, my family said, no, 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 no. We're going to unpack that. But I really want you to center in and go, which one of these have I believed? Which one of these have I internalized? And which one of these might be the reason why I didn't reach for the help that I needed sooner? And then part two of that is I want you to think about how changing those things that we've believed will now sort of reach forward to help you be a better person in the world, help you be a better friend, a better brother, sister, a better partner, a better parent, a better leader, a better representer of Christ. All right. So I just want to dig in because I think it's so good and I'm so excited, but blessings be to you. I'm glad that you decided to come and check out another episode and let's dig into this thing expectation kind of makes that gap. John 10 and 10. We're going to do some work. We are in the midst of a series that we started last month um, called Chill Out. Look at someone and say, chill out. Chill out, fam. We are talking about how do you navigate faith and anxiety. One of the things that I've understood uh, is a part of my calling for the rest of my life is to make sure that we do not grow up um, as a culture of Christians who were saved but not whole. People who were saved, who were Bible-believing, Bible-professing people who were not whole, who were not whole emotionally, who were not whole mentally, um, and who were not whole spiritually, right? Which we'll unpack about John 10 and 10, which becomes the foundation for why do we believe that this is possible. And so one of the ways that we typically see this sort of separation is that there are people who are full of faith, who are saved, who believe in the word of God, but don't know how to navigate some of the things that come against them mentally and emotionally. So you've got people who hold high positions. You've got people who speak in tongues, who know quite a bit of scripture. And yet when they leave here, struggle with anxiety. And or what you have are people who are not believers, but you interact with them and they suffer with anxiety. In fact, I believe that you cannot pass through like three people anymore without one of them identifying with having struggled or battled with anxiety. And so even if you feel like it doesn't apply to you, which we talked about last week, kind of destroyed that, like, not just out of 10, probably applies to you, or last month. Even if you feel like it does not necessarily resonate with you needing to learn about it for application in your own life, you need to learn about it for application in terms of how you disciple the people around you. Because I'm not interested in 
your God if your God does not help my life situation? If your holiness and your approach to faith does not cause me to encounter healing spiritually, emotionally, and physically, then what's the point of your rules? If I'm going to follow rules and read your Bible and go to all this church just to be as anxious as I was before I came to faith, then what's the point? And so we as Christians have to have a healthy framework, which is a word I use a lot, about how do we deal with this? How do we understand it for ourselves? And not just because we're dealing with it with other people, but there are a lot of people who haven't embraced it because they are still bound by the shame of having to face it. So what we're going to do today is labor in how do we look at this to dismiss the shame that is associated with struggling with anxiety so that we can move beyond it to get to the healing. Because most people are so ashamed that they live in denial. And when they live in denial, they never get to healing. There's some folks who are so um, overcome. They are so weighted by this idea. If I am a Christian and if I do believe and if God's hand is on my life or if I do have a decent life, then why am I struggling this way in my mind? And because of the shame attached to that, they just live in that perpetual cycle. right? Or they live in the cycle where people told them, you, you shouldn't feel like that. Or which we'll talk about in a moment. Just pray about it. And because of that very unhealthy dealing with the subject matter, most people live under the shame and the denial of what they're facing. So many people, whether they express it or not, are sitting in the body of Christ wondering, how do I deal with what I believe and what I'm struggling with? John chapter 10 becomes the basis of this entire understanding. John chapter 10 becomes the basis of this entire understanding. Everything that we are positing as we understand how we navigate faith and anxiety comes from what we understand in John 10 and 10, right? It is Jesus speaking. He says, the thief cometh not, but for to do what? Still, and to do what? And to what? Good. Jesus now inserts his purpose in contrast to the purpose of Satan. And he says, I am come that you might have what? Life. And then the next word is what? Good, good, good. Life and. All right. Life and that they might have it more abundantly. So what we were exploring in part one of this, the foundation we laid, and I won't go through everything. But one of the pieces that we laid was that we are unpacking the life and. Right. There's life and. And there is an initial point of life, which is when I get saved, I am reconciled back to God, which guarantees me spiritual life and then life in eternity. Does that make sense? That's what happens at salvation. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life, that you might have spiritual life, that you might be saved. But then he says that there's a next level that I came for as well, which is that you might have it more what? Abundantly, which is a specific reference to my earthly experience. Yeah, I took care of your spirit. Yes, you've been made right with God spiritually. Yes, you've now been granted access to eternity with the Father. But I am also concerned about the abundance of your present life. That there is a life and. And what happens is most of us settle for life, which is great. It's just not the entirety of his promise. So part of what Bishop has been telling us, and, and I, love, I love the time that Bishop and I spend together because we'll go from joking around about life to praying and interceding together. And then what I love is when we hang out, he'll re-preach to me. What y'all hear once, I can hear it like three and four times. We're just, I love it. I love it. So the other day we were unpacking the four-step model that Bishop is presenting about how do you go from promise or from scripture or from word to actually seeing it in your life, right? And the first step is what? To receive. None of y'all was listening last week. The first step is what? To receive, right? I have to receive before I believe. So, if this is the, the word of God, that the promises I am come, they might have life and. The first thing that I must reconcile when it comes to navigating faith and anxiety is I must receive that this is not all that God has for me. I must receive that just merely accepting salvation and not merely because salvation is a miracle. But I must receive that salvation is God's beginning, not God's ending. If you're taking notes, write that down. I must receive that salvation is God's beginning. God is just getting started. And there's some people who get saved and they just be like, all right, mission accomplished. Okay, fam. Well, you have fun with that. Salvation is where God begins with me. God has so much more development. 
God has so much more healing. God has so much more deliverance. God has so much more exposure. God wants to use me to do anything, to do things. And so if all I receive is just like going to heaven and I'm so glad. <laughs> Fantastic. See you there. But in between now and then is some stuff God wants to do for me. And so the beginning of navigating faith and anxiety is you have to receive that the promise of God is that you have life and. Everybody say life and. Life and. So there are going to be people who when they hear this and they're like, well, why are y'all over there talking about anxiety? Because God promised me life and. Well, I just believe y'all to preach about the Holy Ghost. Okay, fantastic. Life and. I firmly believe that because of who Jesus is, because of the power of God, his desire is that he permeate every aspect of my life. I want you to write that down. Can God's grace and his power be seen in every area of my life? If God is only seen in your church attendance, then you don't have life and. I ought to be able to see God in your bank account. Now watch what I'm saying. I'm not saying that I should look in your bank account and see millions. I should see God and how you steward what you have. So our bank statements should reveal life and. I have a wholeness with how I approach finance. I should be able to look at your dating relationships and see God. I should see life and. You are saved and the way you romantically love someone, God can be seen in that. I should be able to look at family relationships. Yeah, appreciate you speaking in tongues. Can I look at how you interact with your parents? And see God. Can I look at you as an employee? God's been getting on me about this something crucial recently. Oh my word. And it's been annoying, quite frankly. Uh, but God's been dealing with me. Appreciate your preaching, but can you be on time to work? So, so if you're 20 minutes late, I'm preaching about Princeton now. So, you know, if it's you, you just, just laugh at me, right? And just it'll deflect from the fact that it's about you too. What good is your witness if you're late every day? Appreciate, appreciate the fact that you preach and you pray for people upon occasion and you speak in tongues. But can that be seen in your discipline as an employee? Can I see in your, crea- in your creativity, if you are an artist, can I see in your discipline the heart of God? What we're talking about is life and that is the foundation for why we are helping people navigate faith and anxiety. Because there is more to life than this. 2 Timothy 1. Verse 7, and then I'm going to dig deep into this foundation line. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. Very familiar passage of scripture. Remember, I'm going to be preaching this for the rest of the year. There's so much of this. I'm going to be preaching this for the rest of the year. So there's going to come one month that I'm going to dedicate to this scripture. We're not quite there yet. But I wanted to add it as foundation. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. Are you with me? For God hath not given us the spirit of what? Fear. Let's pause there. Here's the reason why this is a part of it. If you were here last month and you remember that part of the foundation is that anxiety is a part or a manifestation of perceived threat. Right. That means that anxiety and fear are tied together. Anxiety is the process of my body or my mental state identifying a perceived threat. I am in danger. And that forecasted back to me, that danger projected back to me, my mind interprets that and converts it to anxiety. Does that make sense? One of the things that we unpacked last month is that there was a difference between a sort of like healthy fear, there's anxiety attached to a situation, but when anxiety takes its hold is when that initial event that you were afraid of is over and yet your anxiety continues. This is what we talked about last month, right? This idea that I have some anxiety leading up to a job interview, right? Typically, I don't like to talk about people. I like to talk about myself. Y'all know how we get, et cetera, right? I do the interview. The interview's over, and I'm still experiencing that same sort of threat as though the event is going to continue, and it's already over, right? It is attached to fear. Now, one of the things we unpacked last month is that sometimes I have legitimate reason to be afraid, whether that be by some past experience I've had, whether that be by the story that someone else has presented. What is dangerous, though, is when I then become crippled by said fear, when that fear begins to impact decisions where I am now unable to interact with the world healthily and normally because of this consistent perceived threat. It's related to fear. 
But 2 Timothy 1 and 7 says, God has not given me the spirit of, okay? But what he contrasts fear with are these three things. What are they? Uh Uh-huh. And what? And a sound mind. This is why having this discussion is important. Because what contrasts the spirit of fear is a sound mind. Just sit with that for a minute. A sound mind. That part of the life and is that God doesn't want me to be saved. God wants me to have a sound mind. Let's dig a little deeper. Our purpose here in, in our conjecture again, we spend a lot of time talking about why this conversation is necessary. But I want to debunk some of the shame that we carry again. Because if we live under the shame, it will cause us to be in denial. And that denial will cause us to never be able to move to healing. Let's start here. If you weren't here last month, please grab that tape so you can hear some of the things. What we unpacked last month uh, is the different types of anxiety disorders. And we made the difference between I am experiencing uh, anxiety temporarily versus I uh, am wrestling with what uh, mental health professionals might call an anxiety disorder. And I'll pause and confirm this from the last teaching that mental health professionals identify, well, how do you know the difference? Usually one of the markers is length of time. Length of time, length of time, right? So anxiety can come up just in a moment. I'm anxious about something that is to come, right? But if I'm experiencing that same thing two weeks or longer, right? Or in that example I just gave, the event's already passed and I'm still looking at it or still being anxious over it, then that's when it might have moved from an experience of an anxious emotion into um, actually the disorder of anxiety. Now, again, I set this up last month. I'm not your mental health professional. I'm a youth and young adult pastor who uh, believes that by studying mental health, we can practice our faith more fully and wholly. All right. So, again, I didn't tell you that last month to, so you could just be over here diagnosing yourself. <laughs> I will repeat that from last month. Go consult a mental health professional, preferably one that graduated from USC, because those are the ones that are anointed. Let's dig in. I want to unpack, write this in your notes. Princey, you're so funny. I wrote three, and I definitely have four. That's exciting. Four myths about anxiety. Four myths or four lies about anxiety that we believe that prevent us from walking in healing, that prevent us from walking in wholeness, that prevent us from uh, having this conversation, right? So we can't even get to how do I deal with this? How do I move forward? Um, How do I get to the life end if we don't first deconstruct some of the unhealthy beliefs that we have regarding anxiety. These beliefs have come to us um, by culture. So again, I've situated this in our understanding from an African-American culture context and how this affects us. And so a lot of these we have been taught by culture. And then a lot of these we've been taught by family. Because a lot of times what we do as family is that we will create propaganda around what we don't want to deal with yet. I say that again. We will create suspicion or distrust or propaganda around what we're not ready to do with yet. So we say stuff like this. That's grown folks' business. How many of you know grown folks' business kills kids? Right? But because we were unready to navigate that conversation, we had to shut them out because we, we didn't go on that journey ourselves. So we, we were not at the place at all to lead them through it. Right? And so some of this has come through family. And the last space that many of these unhealthy ways of looking at anxiety and mental health has come from, the church. You know, that small thing. Four lies, four myths about anxiety. Here's number one. One of the biggest lies that we believe about anxiety is that anxiety has a look. We are conditioned to believe that anxiety has a look. So what happens is our way of avoiding facing what we need to face is by telling ourselves that we don't match the profile that naturally struggles with that. Anxiety is a white people thing. Black folks, we too strong for that. That, You know, that's something that white people at my job deal with. Oh, really? Oh, all right. Anxiety is for people who are unorganized. Oh, you sure? Because you can be perfectly organized and still be anxious because of the magnitude of what you've organized. People who think that more success equals more peace got another thing coming when they get to success. One of the great prophets once said, more money, more problems. 
Hallelujah. I think it's in the book of Daniel. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> or watch me. That's a worldly thing. We believers. Don't struggle with that. That's for them sinners. The way of the transgressor is hard. It's like, um, <laughs> yes. However, don't think that's the proper contextual application of that scripture. The number one lie that we believe is that anxiety has a look that has a profile. And you know this is the case. Have you ever opened up about something to somebody and they'd be like, it's not you. Your life is perfect. <laughs> Princeton, you struggle with anxiety? Oh, my God. You're like a preacher. You're like, no, Steve Harvey. Like, what? Oh, my God. Like, no, not you. Like, you're totally fine. Everybody loves you. <laughs> it's like, I roll. If I had a dollar for every time I heard that. It's because we believe that lie, right? It's like the one person. And, and I'm, listen, I'm a firm believer that if you check your friend circle, the one who is the biggest support struggles the most. Bet money, if I was a betting man. That the person in your circle who is the go-to for spiritual and emotional dependence is the one with the most mental turmoil. I, I guarantee it. I guarantee it. And some of you sitting here are that person. And part of what makes this difficult for you is because you know you see yourself in this teaching, but you've already struggled with how do I do this and no one believes that I struggle. We must deconstruct that anxiety has a look. Parents, you have to get this because you are going, sometimes the tendency with strong children is to parent them less. Sometimes the tendency with strong workers is to manage them less. I've had to grow in this. I realized that as a leader within the company, I was spending 80% of my time on the problem children. And I was having come to Jesus meetings and one-on-one check-ins and disciplining them and the whole thing. And my strong ones, I would say hi to and just leave them because I knew they had it. And then they would drop their supervisor status and I'd wonder why, because they were burnt out. Because they needed to be loved, they needed to be nurtured, and they needed to be developed as much as the problem children. But what happens is because we think that struggle and love and need has a look, we'll go to what looks like it needs it and avoid where the need really is. And watch this. And then when you avoid those people, you also avoid your biggest impact. Because I'm not going to get impact out of my problem children because they've decided to be a problem, Lord Jesus. They have decided. Oh, my Lord. They have decided. And I just, you know, at this time, I just be deciding with him. Like, oh, you're going to be a problem today? That is beautiful. God bless. Okay. God bless. Huh? What time you off? Okay. Hallelujah. You want to go home early? I just want to be nice today. You get the biggest impact out of your ones who are stronger because there's actually something to develop. They have the desire to be there. And so if you believe that it has a look, you will not dedicate what you need to. You will start to pull out because, you oh, that's my, that's my straight-A student. Please, please, please check on your straight-A students. Please check on your overachievers. Please check on the ones that seem like they have a bright future because I'm telling you, internally, they are struggling. And they're going to wonder why they were 25 and snapped and just left everything. It is because we built them. Oh, I don't have time. to. Oh, I got to preach a whole separate series on this. The problem is now because their needs, their humanity has not been addressed, now they attach their value to how they perform. So the moment they stop performing at that level, they're going to have a complete identity crisis, and you're going to wonder what went wrong. Number two, second lie we believe about anxiety is that anxiety means I don't have faith. That's a lie, and I'm going to prove it to you in Scripture. Prove it to you. Let me push through these. Anxiety means I don't have faith. I need you to receive that. Because if you consistently look at them as if they're diametrically opposed, you're going to be vacillating from one extreme to the other. And you're going to think you're either completely untouchable or you are completely broken. And the truth of the matter is, you are a whole person guided by your faith that uses that faith as you navigate what comes against you, anxiety being one of them. Does that make sense? Okay. You cannot look at them as being diametrically opposed. That's why the name of this series is not faith versus anxiety or faith over anxiety. No, no, no. Faith and anxiety. Here's why. Not that I give them the same seat in my life, but I cannot allow myself to view them as one or the other. So I have to fix my mind as to which reality am I in today. No, no, no. The reality I'm in is I'm a person of faith. And in that faith, I'm going to navigate my way in the direction of healing. And anxiety happens to be one of the things on that path in my way. Third lie that we believe is that anxiety cannot be dealt with. It is a lie that we believe that anxiety cannot be dealt with. It is amazing. 
And this one particularly comes through kind of culturally, from a cultural standpoint, where we just kind of train ourselves that once you, once you struggle with it, that's just it, right? Like, that is just the nature of it. They'd be like, well, you know, you just got to wait for it to pass. Soon I will be done with the troubles of this world, child. It's like, all right. Well, can we speed this up then? <laughs> can, we, can we speed up the done part? Okay. <laughs> That's funnier than you understand. Third, third line is that anxiety cannot be dealt with. We'll talk with it, right? It is not that people don't want to be whole. Sometimes it's just they don't have the tools. And sometimes they don't have the tools because no one ever told them that there were tools available, particularly in church. Four, one of the biggest lies that we believe is that anxiety is all in the mind. How many times have we been told that? That's just in your mind, honey. You're just making that up. That's all in your mind. It's not, which we'll talk about in a minute. Anxiety is not in the mind. It could be in the environment. It could be in relationships. It could be physical. While it might be experienced primarily in the mind, it can actually be present in a number of different places. Which brings us to our next point. Let us begin our framework for understanding. Okay? I want you to write that in your notes. Number one, because it sounds fancy. And I'm going to help you sound fancy when you talk about this to your friends tomorrow. Ooh, we had a good time in church. What do you preach about? Anxiety. Oh, that's interesting. We talked about our framework for understanding. You're going to be great. You're going to be great. You're going to perform very well. I'm setting you up for it. You're going to be great. People are going to be so impressed. Framework for understanding. Now, here's why I've called this, because this is where we move into a sort of pastoral wisdom with Scripture as its base, all right? Now, here's why I'm saying this. It's our framework for understanding because i got to set this up. You're receiving this for life's sake, not because you're going to go to hell if you don't. Does that make sense? I'm going to prove it to you in Scripture, but I'm uplifting a framework for understanding, something that we have... Um, put together, kind of constructed, how do we look at this, all right? So, if anxiety is not just in the mind, how do we understand it, right? Where is it? What does it affect? Mankind, humankind, is a tripart being. Write that in your notes, tripart, T-R-I dash part, tripart being. Bishop has taught this to us so many times. I'm just going to show you how it applies in this context, Okay. So I know it sounds weird as I'm talking about it. I promise you, you already know this. Tripart being spirit, soul, and body. Spirit, soul, and body. So I am a spirit. It's the part of me that never dies. I am a spirit. I have a soul. The interpretive part of my being. The soul is what we believe houses the mind, the will, and the emotions. So I am a spirit, part of me that never dies. I have a soul, the interpretive part of me, the soul, houses my mind, my will, and my emotions. And all those things together live in a body that helps me interact with the realm I was placed in. Without a body, be kind of weird for me to preach to you. I mean, it could still happen, but you'd be like weirded out. Just like imagine a floating microphone, you know, and a voice. <laughs> Plus, I'm cuter in the flesh, so <laughs> that'd just be a way degraded experience if I just wasn't here. Awkward. I am a spirit. I have a soul lived in a body, right? Now, what's interesting is this understanding, I just want to put, because I know I've got some folks who like love to, to be deep. So let me just throw this, this like deep hook in and I'm going to come back. This understanding is, is very kind of Western. Our Eastern brothers and sisters, both from a Christian perspective and from other religions, um, approach it in a more holistic kind of oneness sort of sense. So it's not to say that these three, while we might understand them separately, you're not like three people. Right? Like you are the spirit that has a soul that exists through the body. Does that make sense? Where do we get this from scripturally? You can write the scripture down, Thessalonians 5.23. We have reason through a number of different scriptures to put this uh, understanding in our theology together, but this is one where those words are specifically written. Paul says in Thessalonians 5.23, I pray, God, that your spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Paul just puts it right out there in that language. I hope you're good in your spirit, 
in your mind, will, and emotions, and in your flesh. Which one of those does anxiety hit? I like y'all. Y'all real smart. Exactly. All. All three. Anxiety hits all three. Anxiety can be understood in all three. We'll call them realms for the sake of conversation. It can be understood in all three realms. The problem is, most of us only fight it in one. Anxiety hits all three. Anxiety could be understood as physical, right? Or uh, psychological, right? Affected by the structuring of the brain, like chemical processes, right? Like there's actually something happening in the brain that does not allow it to think without anxiety. So it could be physical. Or it could attack the soul. It could be in the soulish realm, which is what? The mind, the will, and the emotions. Emotional anxiety. Or it could be spiritual. A spirit of anxiety. Does that make sense? I'm going to go through each one again. It could be in the flesh. A disorder. Something actually occurring with the brain. Or something actually occurring with the physical body. Or it could be emotional. Tied to experiences. Tied to trauma. Tied to a series of events. Tied to something that's happened or what somebody's done. Or it could exist in the spirit realm. This is so important for us to understand because what happens is if we just look at anxiety as just this one big thing, then you could just be shooting in the air, hoping you hit something. And sometimes the reason why we don't find success is not because God does not want us to be healed, but because we're not attacking it on the level it's attacking us. So if you bring solutions from one realm to the other realm, you're going to be fighting the wrong fight. And if you hear about four or five months ago, you know that the one thing we don't want to do is fight the wrong fight. So this is the danger with somebody coming up to you and saying, just pray about it. Because while that's great advice, it might be attacking me on a different realm. So sometimes we're praying about things that if we just adjusted the physical way that we handle ourselves and steward our bodies... We see healing. So I'll take it out of the world of anxiety for a minute. I'll take it to just regular illness, especially in the black community. I'm going to pray for healing, divine healing, miracle spring water. I just cut these cloths from some fabric in downtown, but I prayed over them. And if you give me $50 for each one, you're going to get healed. We just wanted to be so miraculous. Or... We had the herbalist come through and minister to us about six months ago. And I love what he said. He said, we have seen so many miracles by folks eating right. And see, what's crazy, this is how you can tell we off. Because we don't even think that's a miracle. That ain't no miracle. It's only a miracle. When Did we pray? Did we slap oil on them? Did they fall out in the floor? Did we put the sheet? That wasn't no miracle. What the herbalist is saying is not that we don't pray. But we don't let prayer cause us to forsake the level that the attack is coming from. All right. All right. If you speak in tongues and don't take your medicine, I don't know if you really believe in God. <laughs> unless God specifically told you, or unless you have reason to, or hey, you know, the side effects or whatever that might be, fantastic. That's a completely different discussion. But if you are not attacking on the level that's attacking you, are you really moving in faith? I'm a firm believer. Watch this. So sometimes... We're praying about things when the attack is in the soulish realm. It's attacking the emotions. I'm a firm believer that some folks don't need prayer. They need you to listen. You stop praying and let them talk. Save your tongues. Let me process what I'm going through. Then let's pray in tongues. I'm a firm believer. Some people don't don't need more oil. They need to sit down with someone and talk. Because this stuff is so deep. And it's so deep. I ain't got enough tongues for how deep your trauma is. I'm going to be speaking in tongues till I'm blue in the face to get down to the root because this go down to your granddaddy. This go down to the fact that he wasn't with that situation. And you, you know, look, I, you know, I'm only one person, okay? It works the opposite way. Because some of y'all was like, he don't believe in speaking in tongues. Why is he up preaching? No, I, I, okay, I speak in tongues at the grocery store, okay? I'd be like, Lord Jesus, these grapes is $5. Brandon Seco da ba shit da ba ba Lord, I thank you. 
I don't speak in tongues harder than when I'm paying with a debit card I ain't sure about. Man, and it, listen, the three seconds when your chip is inserted, oh my God, spiritual. Accept it. Father, we worship you. You are so good. There's nobody like you. We adore you. Can never repay you, Lord, for what you've done for me. How you loose my shackles. <laughs> I'm not knocking speaking in tongues, man. I'm a Pentecostal till I till they put me in the ground, man. I'm saying it's just misplaced energy. We're not doing the right thing at the right time so we don't get the intended effect. Conversely, I'm going to flip the conversation. Conversely, you can be eating well, got a therapist, using cocoa butter, <laughs> and all natural hair care products. <laughs> and if you don't have something in you that knows how to war in the spirit, you still won't see the healing you need. I can't tell you how many people I've interacted with, right? Because I think the reason why I am this way is because I had two separate experiences, right? I had my upbringing that really rooted and grounded me in the faith and in the Holy Ghost and, and in holiness. And then I had my academic upbringing that really kind of exposed me to these conversations about mental health, about injustice, about culture and society, whatever, whatever. And I lived in how both of them was missing something. I would hang around my folks who, who lived and breathed and was dripping in oil. <laughs> And they were missing the emotional health component. And then I would hang out with my folks who got it from the mental health. I mean, their marriages looked great. They had money, all that kind of stuff. But I'd hang around them and I'd be like, uh, y'all even really get what's happening in the spirit realm. Like, y'all don't even know. Like, y'all ain't as safe as you think you are. You know, let me pray. Or you get this commonly, right? There are people who are around you who look like they have it all together, but still come to you for prayer. Because they know that there is a level that they're missing, right? So the question you must ask yourself is what level am I experiencing anxiety on? What realm, I like that word, what realm am I experiencing anxiety? Is this in my flesh? Because if it is, then I should probably consult somebody. I can eat better. Maybe I need more rest. Maybe I need to spend more time outside. How many of you know the environment will, will impact your anxiety? Right? You need to spend more time in nature. Sometimes you can do small things in your home, like just figure out a way to let more light in. It's amazing the wonders of God through nature. It is amazing the wonders of God through nature, right? Let me say something super deep. Okay, you ready? Some of us just need a vacation. It ain't even as deep as you think. Sometimes the solution for the anxiety is that you have not left your current existence long enough to remember that the world is bigger than it. Oh, my word. Whoa. Oh, my goodness. Because you have not left it, because you continue to overburden yourself, what is literally happening is that your life is caving in on you. Because you haven't stepped out of it long enough to remember that life is bigger than it. If I only, oh my, I don't have time for this. That's why solitary confinement is so detrimental to the mental and emotional state. Because you are seated in the same place. And your mind starts to adjust to that is reality. And so what it, be, what it does is it begins to deteriorate the mind. It begins to deteriorate the emotional and the mental uh, self on the inside. Because it literally, these walls, this finite space that I'm in, is closing in. So the solution is to break yourself out of a self-imposed solitary confinement. Why would you impose that on yourself? So I have to discern, is anxiety attacking me in the physical realm? Remember, it's going better. Or that's where the disorder comes in. The disorder falls under the physical realm of anxiety attacks. And then we know that because God has given us great wonders through science, God is the author of science. That's why I don't have a problem with it. We just learned it as he revealed it. Then maybe that means that there's something I need to be doing. There's a regiment for my physical self, right? Could be sleep. Could be change of scenery. It could be dance. Could be laughter. That's one of the things we got right in the black church. We was shouting anxiety out since... <laughs> Than slavery. Maybe it's in the soul realm. The soul realm. Where my mind, my will, and my emotions live. If anxiety is in the soul realm for me, then I might need counseling. I might need healthy processing to journal, to go on a walk, 
and talk it out with somebody. For those of you who are artists, might need to write a song. Right? There might be something that needs to be done that helps me get it out because it's in the realm of my mind, my will, and my emotions. It's in the realm that interprets. Sometimes it needs to come through reading. Sometimes there is an element of processing associated with reading something that can call back to you what you're experiencing so that you feel like you're not crazy. Sometimes it helps to read a book where somebody's sharing their testimony or talking about, you know, identifying. And they say, people who, <laughs> I remember I, started, <laughs> I was reading this one book. I mean, if you want to get deep, one of the best books I've ever read in my life. It's by Dr. Patricia Love. It's called um, The Emotional Incest Syndrome. What to do when a parent's love rules your life. It's super deep. Don't go there if you ain't ready for it, okay? But um, what I remember reading was she started outlining all these, like, hey, you know, typically this might happen in the parent-child relationship. This might happen in the parent-child relationship. And I was reading it. I was going, other people are dealing with this. I'm not crazy. So sometimes reading is a healthy form of processing because somebody who's an author who you don't know is calling back to you. Watch this. And sometimes they can do it in language that you couldn't even find to describe what you was going through. And there's something very healing about that. Particularly those of you that are going through grieving unrelated to anxiety. Ooh. uh, Okay, let me share this with you. This just came up. Sometimes grieving can lead to anxiety because the weight of however the grief began can make your system have a perceived fear that more is on the way. So typically, after, after death... After loss of a relationship, after loss of a job, the brain might start to respond back and say, hey, you know somebody's next, right? Or you know you're about to lose your mind, right? That anxiety. And so if we don't manage, oh, this is so good. If we don't manage grief well, it will roll into anxiety. And so sometimes when I'm reading and processing, if it's attacking me on that emotional, the soul realm, then if somebody is reading or calling back to me things that I feel, there's something very liberating about that particularly in grief, so that it doesn't roll into being anxiety. Lastly, it could be... Oh, let me do one more thing. This has been interesting for me. Uh, Filtering could be a great thing for when you're experiencing anxiety in the soul realm. What do I mean by filtering? Limiting what you're consuming from a media standpoint. Sometimes prayer is great, but you might also want to get off of social media. You might also want to take a week from talking to someone. And, and you, we've got to start being honest about those people that every time we engage with them, they feed the anxiety. It could be because of their stress. It could be because of their lack of kindness that every time I engage with them, I walk away feeling more afraid of something that is to come in the future. So if you pray, but still continue to entertain that relationship in that person... You're acting against what you pray for God to do. When you could pray and not take the phone call. You could pray and say, unfortunately, I'm not available this week. And it'll make you a horrible person. You are guarding what you've prayed for. Instead of continuing to try to fight in the spirit level, but not having healthy boundaries and defenses in the soul level. Filtering. I was telling Refreshing last week. To preserve my mind for what we had to do today, I could not, and I I fought this for a long time because I wanted to be on Instagram, but I I could not. I was just like, okay, I need at least a day where I was detuned, right? Because by the time I get through looking at how wonderful everybody else's life looks and, you know, everybody's just in love right now and making money and just, it just looks wonderful. And it'll have me in a whole other type of place. Because I was filtering. uh, Not today. That's the soulish realm. Making to-do lists sometimes the reason why you're overwhelmed is because you are tackling life as one big problem. This is particularly what I'm trying to live in. My act of faith in this moment has been God trying to discipline me to take life one day at a time. The way anxiety manifests for me physically is a result of, I will feel it as headaches. I will literally think myself into a headache. It was happening all day yesterday and the day before. It is tied to the fact that I'm trying to accomplish 50 things at one time. I'm trying to figure out how to be promoted, a great husband, father, pastor, civic leader, how to make a million dollars and run a brand and change the world and maybe run for office. No, I don't really want to do that. Uh, All at the same time. And it creates that anxiety. Sometimes, whoa, there it is. Understand that this is why God, or this is why Jesus taught us in Matthew 5, 
When you pray, pray, give us this day our daily bread. Why? Because that's all you need to be focused on. I'm not going to provide for more than what is outside of your realm of responsibility. I'm not going to provide for Friday when you, all you need to worry about is Monday. Take it one day at a time. So making to-do lists and deconstructing whatever the big thing is that is causing your anxiety, deconstructing that is a major part of fighting it on the soul realm. So physical, I might have the disorder, I just might have anxiety in my physical body. The soul realm, I might be experiencing anxious emotions, right? And there are ways we deal with that. Or spirit, which is a looming spirit of something. Because the spirit realm is real. Good and evil spirits. I find it interesting that Paul's language to Timothy in our foundational verse that we read today after John 10 was, God has not given us the what of fear. Fantastic. Say it louder. God has given us, that has not given us the what? Spirit of fear. So there are going to be some times where I need to say, God, is this physical? God, is this some, somehow tied to an emotion? Is this tied to something going on in my soul? Or is there something spiritual going on? When it's spiritual, we break out all the oil. We break out the oil with the mustard seed at the bottom. We break out the oil that's scented. We break out the uh, Pompeii oil. We break out the Crisco. I done start blessing Crisco at the 99 cent store. Where you can't, listen, it ain't got to be extra virgin olive oil. I don't know if that's what Aaron had when it ran down his beard to the skirt. I don't know. But we just going to get it and pray over it. We're going to get all of it. I'm going to slang it. I still, <laughs> there to this day are still like grease marks in places in my home when I was praying in the spirit someday and probably shouldn't have put grease. Like my brother's TV still has an oily cross on it from like, from like a year and a half ago. I was just going, in the name of Jesus, <laughs> just like slanging oil everywhere because in the spirit, right? That's when we need prayer. We need intercession. We need the casting out of demons. Anybody still believe in that or y'all modern church? We need the casting out of demons every now and then. We must take something uh, to the throne of God and war in the spirit and look at a thing and say, I cast out the spirit of anxiety. Cast out of demons. The blood of Jesus. The blood that allowed for even the spirit of death, the death angel to pass over his children in Egypt. So it shall be. Plead the blood over my mind. I plead the blood over a future that I'm not smart enough to think about yet. I plead the blood over my job. This perceived fear I have, the dangers around my, I plead the blood. This anxiety being caused by fear that my child might be the next one, that my spouse or person might be the next one. No, I plead the blood against that. Sometimes meditation. And because we don't look at meditation through the scriptures, the moment we hear that, we automatically, we get, we get all religious because we think, don't go all Eastern on me, brother. We, we believe in Jesus over here. Oh, chill out, fam. Because your Bible says, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that's within the season. A couple of verses before that in Psalm chapter one, it says, and in his law doth he what? Meditate day and night. So there's your religion for you, okay? Meditation, the ability to get still and rehearse something, the ability to be still and allow something to process over and over again. When was the last time you took one small verse and just spent an hour in a park just letting God speak to you? When was the last time you got on a swing? I will bless the Lord at all times. <laughs> and his praise shall continue to be. I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my... When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you went to brunch by yourself? I was there last week by myself. Thank you for asking. Last time I went to brunch by myself was last week, actually. And I definitely have reservations today, but that's neither here nor there. When was the last time you just sat by yourself and rehearsed something the bishop taught us? Can I tell you what I've been meditating on all week? God, you've given me the tongue of the learning. Give me the tongue of the learning. That I might speak a word. In season. I was facing anxiety about preaching this message, right? Because again, I'm not a mental health professional. Somebody be watching this and you know, you get critiques from both sides. You get critiques from religious people, like, why are you talking about this? And you get critiques from like unsafe people, it's like, well, why'd you go the whole demon route, right? It's facing it, like, Lord, I want to get everything right. Like, I've studied so much for this, this is like my life too, and I'm blah 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 blah. You've given me the tongue of the learning that I might speak a word in season to them that are weary. And what's crazy is that meditation, if you let it, will turn to worship. Lord, you know what they need. Lord, they are weary, and I'm not the answer. You're the answer. Mm. What I don't, what I lack, you are full of. 
You give me the tongue of the learning that I might speak a word in season. I thank you that whatever I don't say wasn't meant to be said today. And what I do, you'll time it appropriately. Why? Because you give me the tongue of the learning. When was the last time you did that? I'm so excited. There's so much more to give you. Here's where I'm going to end. In order for us to pursue health, we must understand anxiety on all three levels. And then we must address anxiety on all three levels. That's the conclusion for today. Man, I want to unpack this shame thing, but I don't have time. I'll get to it next month. In order to pursue healing, we must understand anxiety on all three levels. And we must address anxiety on all three levels. That's why I want life in. I want every demon in hell to know that they can't come against me. I want my soul to know that I will not be buried in my emotions. We got processing styles for that. And I want my body to know that I steward my own body. I control what I eat. I control my environment. I control as best I can when I sleep, healthy self-care habits, etc. And I'm going to address it on all levels so that I can have life and life more abundantly. Stan, that's my time. Whoo. Yeah, we went there. I think to me, that's one of my favorite episodes still because of how simple yet deep it is. Like when you start impact, unpacking all that stuff, you can really sit down and be like, yo, like I've really, really, really believed some of all those things, <laughs> like some or most or all of them. Yeah. I think one of the things I just want to reiterate is just like check on everybody in this season, check on everybody all the time. But I have a bias towards this quote. Check on your strong friends because you just never know. Sometimes it's the people, I not sometimes, I guarantee you, it's the people who look most full of light and love and magic and pixie dust and joy and sugar and caramel <laughs> that are going through it the most. And sometimes those of us who do have these sort of motivating and, and hyper excited personalities, sometimes we're using that as a mask. Sometimes that in itself is of a cry for help, but I'm that's a whole nother podcast episode. But listen, fam, I hope this blessed you. I want you to hang with me because there's so much more that's coming about this subject. And we're going to get in the Bible some more about it and, and talk about it some more. So listen, I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please reach out to me in some sort of way. This blesses me to hear from people so that I can actually sort of get some stories and real life testimonies about how this is touching people. And so, yeah, uh, shoot me a DM on Instagram. Shoot me an email, info at princetonparker.com. Share this with somebody and please, please, please like and subscribe and share. I think I just covered all the things and pray. <laughs> I feel like I should start doing that. Like, subscribe, share and pray. I need to like, subscribe, share and pray. Come on and like, subscribe, share and pray. Come on and like. I need you to like, subscribe, and share, and pray. Anyway, okay. <laughs> uh, bye, y'all. Thanks so much for hanging with me. And uh, until next time, you already know, as God, Princeton, don't mess up your own quote, with God <laughs> as your foundation and purpose as your motivation, keep building family.